0: Hey, welcome back to Dad Conversations, where we spotlight successful, interesting, and normal people who happen to be dads. Today I spoke to Ben Holm. Ben's a director at Microsoft, and he's focused on cloud data and AI. He has four kids, and he grew up in a huge family. I met Ben around seven years ago when he was a business school student at Duke, I wanted to get into the program, so I searched LinkedIn, and uh, turns out we went to the same school for undergrad, so he was one of the first people I hit up and met him on campus. Thankfully, he was a really cool guy. I'm glad I got to know him, and I'm sure you will enjoy hearing from Ben. Now, if you like the episode, please go ahead and subscribe to the show. I'd also be very grateful if you would review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently, the reviews makes a big difference for which podcasts they recommend. The next episodes of Dad Conversations will include a brilliant Harvard Business School alum who's working in venture capital, a friend of mine from high school who runs a restaurant, a private wealth manager from France, an ADHD researcher, another entrepreneur, a Navy SEAL, and probably the most chill sales manager on the planet. It's probably not gonna be in that order because schedules always get shifted, but they've all agreed to come on the show, so you'll find them sooner or later. I'll talk with each of them about their different areas of expertise, their life stories and philosophies, and of course, their approach to being dads. They're all very different people, but they're all dads. All successful, all interesting, and mostly normal. All right, time to hear from Ben Home. Enjoy. Ben, thanks for being here, man.
1: Yeah, you got it. I uh, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity, and and all the truth. I think it's the first time I've seen you in you know seven or eight years, so it's good to reconnect. Um, I'm sure we'll yeah get, for we'll, real. I'm sure we'll, we'll dig been, uh, in the sport.
0: cafeteria at Duke where I was uh, you know picking your brain as a, a BYU alum who was at in the business school at Duke, and I wanted to uh, follow your footsteps, so appreciate you uh sitting down and talking to me a little bit
1: yeah yeah no you got it I uh I always I will say you know because I think you're going to spend the rest of the podcast embarrassing me um so I, I gotta maybe relive that story just a little bit so you know the initiative I, I always impressed me if you reached out on LinkedIn and saying hey I'm going to come to the Fox Center and do campus and I just you know I just want to hear about your experience and so um, I it really impressed me, and then you know, fast forward a few years, you went to Duke and uh, and also got an MBA. So, um, glad to see that lunchtime conversation was so uh, um, you know, long lasting impact on you, but I don't know how much credit I can take.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I enjoyed uh, talking with you and and got good, you know, kind of reinforced everything I'd heard about the school. So, that was um, a very positive experience. So, did you um, you know, get are you well caffeinated and took your vitamins today? Ready for a
1: ninety-minute dive on on Ben? Hey, I'm uh, I'm as ready as I could possibly be, but um, you know I'll uh, you know I'll do my best to keep pace with the with the rigorous um, rhythm I'm sure you'll set for me. <laughs> okay,
0: so you are a director at Microsoft, and you you're in sales and you know, focus on cloud data and, and AI, and i um, wondering if you could just tell me a little about your role and, and kind of what you do.
1: Yeah, yeah, so um, I've been in the Azure business for about six years and kind of generically speaking, um, people call it the public cloud. So it's, it's the notion that um, companies and enterprises stopped using their own data centers and instead, you know, kind of rent or use that space on a pay-as-you-go basis because there's just better economies of scale and giving them more flexibility to, to grow or contract as their business needs. Um, my area specifically is more focused on data and AI. And so, you know, we hear a lot about AI, you know, kind of starting back in the days of Terminator and robots taking over the world. Um, but in reality, I think it's really, it's not a new topic, but it's a topic that's, you know, been far more, um, I think, relevant because of all the data sources we now collect. Um, social media, um, you know, what we're doing more on, on the consumer side, you know, purchasing things online, um, you know, I think coupled with the compute power, that's more, um, you know, more readily available. And so we're seeing a lot more breakthroughs and doing a lot more things um, with large data sets that before we could never crunch. Um, and so just in the five or six years I've been you know, doing this role, I've just, it's been kind of mind blowing. Um, you know, the things that are possible in 2020 that weren't even when I started in 2014. So, that's pretty cool stuff.
0: Yeah, dude, I'd love to hear about some of those uh, outcomes you can enable or, um, you know, data you can crunch and what that translates to for the average person. So, um. And I'd also love to hear just like, is there a, is there a definition a broadly accepted definition of what art, artificial intelligence is or kind of like, how do you explain it to someone who's not familiar with it? And then maybe tell us about some of those cool, uh, cool things you mentioned.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of artificial intelligence is it really leverages existing data, right? And so as you think about a computer making a forward-looking decision, it's it's really leveraging kind of backwards, backwards-looking backwards data and then other kind of features, variables that kind of play into an overall action that should be taken. Um, and so the computers can do a lot of things. So one of the first things we call out is um, maybe it isn't sufficient that a computer can do it. It's should a computer do it. And that's where you get into a lot of what is kind of some of the uh, more interesting topics around, you know, ethical AI or responsible AI, Um, because with a lot of what's, uh, you know, I think possible today, um, you have to look at, um, you know, respecting where the data is coming from, perhaps the bias that you've used to train the data. All those things come into focus, and just making sure it provides, you know, more fairness, um, you know, more privacy, more security back to the individual um but maybe to answer your other question of like hey what's going on in the world uh today that you know is is enabled by AI um when it works really well you don't even realize it's around you so you think a lot about um you know what uber did um you know being able to take someone who wants doesn't want to own a vehicle just wants a ride on demand uh, the algorithm required you know to take a user who wants to get a certain place and a certain size of car with a certain size party and you know, with a bent towards luxury, non luxury um, in just seconds is actually quite incredible. And so you see kind of this Michelangelo algorithm that powers Uber, that just has kind of fundamentally changed people's lives. That's all AI and kind of, you know, kind of reinforcement learning um, that really kind of powers um, that becoming more and more effective and more and more accurate, Um, obviously predicated on, you know, humans being able to enable the ride and, and provide those. Um, you see a lot of it in customer care. So when your phone bill is is out of whack or your TV bill has gotten a lot higher, most of those um, can be resolved with interacting with a bot or an automated, you know, virtual assistant. Um, because there are very few outcomes you're going towards, um, and there's a predictable kind of sequence of the conversation that you know you can listen to those those conversations between a customer and a, a call center agent and you know if you can define that 4 or 5 problems make up 80 or 90% of your calls and then find kind of an automated path towards resolution you know you you can just think about how many folks who you know are doing repetitive tasks who can do something far more ennobling far more inspiring you know than than doing these things that um, are maybe a little bit more straightforward to to you know to hit so i think the last point there is um, I think AI is really about augmenting the human experience, you know, you do hear a lot of concern of, hey, this could replace jobs. This could potentially take, um, something that I do today. But I think if you kind of follow, you know, the Wayne Gretzky has talked about is where the puck is going, not where the puck is, um, that you should build your strategy around. It's really, there are a lot of things that are uniquely relevant for human, um, human, um, empathy, compassion. Um, a lot of those characteristics, right? Aren't, uh, aren't really something you'd expect a computer to be able to provide or artificial intelligence for that matter. Um, So as you kind of see the shift, I think it is really important to to consider, um, you know, what are the things you don't have time for in your job, where if you automated away that task, um, you know, you'd have extra cycles to pursue it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like the positive, Implications of of artificial intelligence. There's a lot of ways to make our lives better. You know,
1: For sure. Um,
0: it does does get a lot of uh, negative press, though. You know, you got people like Elon Musk uh, out there worried about the um, artificial general intelligence and and uh, the associated
1: with that. A lot of the concerns are, are fair, right? Um, when you have that much um, data and and power to understand what comes next and Potentially, you know, have a dynamic between both humans as well as is is AI, making sure like everybody is clear on what what the outcome ought to be and what you're trying to do, and kind of creating guardrails uh, to make sure you don't you know venture into things that maybe don't enhance the human experience, but become you know maybe a deterrent from 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 human progress, and so. So I I think when I read his book, he talked a lot about that in the beginning, um, you know, of just all the advances that are being made. And I don't I don't know that it's any different than any other technology in the sense that, like, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, Brad Smith has been a huge advocate about, you know, how do you kind of redefine the rules for 2020, given just this plethora of issues that just didn't exist 20 years ago? Because I think laws and courts can enforce, you know, what's in place today, but like, how do you reimagine that? So it's relevant to some of the the issues that we're, we're coming up with, you know, in 2020. And so I think those societal guardrails are important and like what we culturally try to do. But um, more than that, like, I do think when a lot of the data is kind of originating from what we do day to day, we should have, you know, a lot of of say and how it's used and, you know, being able to kind of give your, you know, your authorization or green light and what people know about you and, and how they use that to, to target you potentially. So um, there is a lot of that responsibility to be conscientious of that, um, you know, as we go through our daily lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: I'm, I'm really torn on it because I see so much good and how awesome it could be but I've also seen Terminator, like you mentioned. and <laughs> you <laughs> kind of wonder, like as we keep taking steps ten uh, percent more towards a uh, big brother and, and then eventually, like, where does it
1: go? You know? Um, it's interesting to think about, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think anything of of that nature, like you have to take an active role and in, in trying to make things better. Um, and so when you start these projects, it almost always is you know based upon, um i think a better outcome for an enterprise you know better experience for customers um and so i think if you keep that as your north star and you know microsoft kind of has laid out six different principles for ai um and so it's basically fairness uh, security privacy inclusiveness transparency accountability and reliability and safety and th- those evolve and those mean different things to different companies and different use cases you're you're potentially pursuing um But I think that's kind of our way to put a lens on, you know, making sure the Rubik's cube um, has everything lined up and you're not, you know, compromising one for the benefit of the other five. And as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. whenever you have, you know, six different things that you're looking at a problem um, and trying to solve for all of those at once, like it can be difficult. And there's a lot of things you just, you probably don't go forward with. Um, So it's uh, it's certainly Mm -hmm. like one of, I'd say the fastest moving and changing, um progressing industries and the technology that supports it and the companies that you know kind of bring innovation into it um is it can be mind-blowing um but you know no um no rest for the weary on that front (laughs) yeah for sure could you give us an example to kind
0: of follow up on that topic of uh maybe the type of um use case for xyz company that that uh works with your sales team and what are what's their current situation and what type of uh outcome are you able to get them to?
1: Yeah so I think one of the most popular ones we've seen is the idea of predictive maintenance. And so um, when you think of like elevators, for example, um there's a lot of telemetry that's gathered um just from the operation of of going up and down over and over again right um when you have outages or breakdowns there are often early indications if the data is analyzed properly that would signal to you long before that elevator's out of service that you could do xyz action to prevent it um, from ever occurring and so we do see companies often come and say hey we have this like relevant data Um, We don't need to create any more. We just need to look at it and make decisions in real time. And so in that elevator example, um, if you have someone coming for a routine or planned maintenance visit, uh, the cost per hour is considerably lower. Um, When you have a, a reactive call because the elevator is broken, you not only have a bad customer experience with whichever building it's in, but you're probably paying orders of magnitude more money. To get that elevator back in service. And so if you Mm -hmm. look at things like, you know, temperatures of some of the internal components or the speed at which things are moving or any other kind of irregularities that could better inform. um, You, you're having an issue before the issues actually occurred. um, You know, you've, you've been able to kind of unlock the power of the data, um, which would make you not only the company provides the elevator more successful, but the maintenance company services it and the and you know, the, the tenants inside of it who depend on it, right? Especially and in, uh, in areas where you're in a high rise and there's really no other good alternative. Hmm.
0: So on that example, are elevators like decked out in a lot more sensors than I'm thinking of? Well, a lot of moving parts and you're you're gathering like temperature data and, and sending back all this info. Are they, are they just, are you just sensors galore on everything?
1: Yeah, and I would say like, if you think of like, you know, our vehicles today, airplanes, elevators, um, basically anything that moves um, there's a, a lot of data that's created and a lot of it is is obviously looked at and you know provides a specific function. I think it's more like the extension of the data that's available and doing things that are maybe more proactive. Um, but you think about airplanes in the kind of the mysterious black box. Um, the amount of data they collect on the flight and, you know, you, you, I would say, don't quote me, but I know this is being recorded. I mean, it ranges well into the terabytes of data, right? For a single flight. So you can imagine wow. when you have that much data, there's probably very little that isn't, um, you know, being carefully washed, but, you know, it makes sense. The stakes are super high. Um, passenger safety is that is paramount. Um, and so I, you know, I think as you look more and more at those and apply data science to it and you know put really smart people and great tools uh you can often find um there's opportunities to do things you haven't done in the past um in the way of you know saving money or providing better service or you know empowering your employees um and and so it can go a lot of different ways Hmm. so if you if you look at
0: maybe 10, 15, 20 years, do you think we're going to just be slightly more automated, a little closer to artificial intelligence, just uh, gathering more data? Are we going to be, like, a major leap further than we are currently?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, I I, uh, I left my my crystal ball that I consult for these sorts of forward-looking <laughs> questions downstairs, but let me take a stab. Um <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of things that are being worked on right now that would be game changers. I mean, um, a lot of the big technology players are working very heavily on quantum computing, um, which, when you're able to compute things um, of of much greater complexity, size, much quicker, you know, things like um, you know, working on cures for for diseases and other you know challenges of of cracking things that were potentially uh, uncrackable before both the the positive and the negative start to come into scope um you, you know i i still see even today there are um, scenarios where um you know cloud isn't the best suited and it, a lot of it has to do with there's technology um that's required or amount of maybe maturity that still has to take place to kind of unlock some of those those scenarios, especially around high performance compute. Um, but like, I would hate to undersell what, you know, humans can do in 10 to 20 years. When you look back um, 10 to 20 years from now, around, you know, 2000, we were just hoping the calendar would turn over and all of our applications would continue to work when we <laughs> are bypassed Y2K to a point now where, you know, you have these supercomputers that, um, you know, in your pockets that probably have more compute power than some data centers back in that age. So, I think uh, I think the the future is very exciting for sure in this space. Um, I think it's just bridling, um, you know, in that bouncing act of of the responsibility that comes with that power. Um, but I think I you know not you know I guess I'm speaking more as Ben Holm and you know certainly not an official spokesman for for Microsoft or for anybody else. Um, I think uh, I think it's really important just to kind of realize um, that we all can play an active role, just given how important this is. Rather than withdraw, and you know, um, for some of those concerns that that we've expressed. But uh, um, but yeah, I do think um, I'm hopeful that, especially as you look into um, some of the research that's being done for you know cancer and genomics um, that we will see breakthroughs that just you know really push the i guess the the limits of what we're capable of today um but that's that's probably you know something that it's it's hard to know what kind of impact that will have but just um in general i think the the tools and the level of human innovation um you know just blows me away um and i think it's 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 really exciting to be kind of you know, in the middle of it with with my particular role at Microsoft.
0: That's cool. I always enjoy learning a little about uh, artificial intelligence, and uh, it's funny to hear you say quantum. Uh, first time I heard about the quantum realm was uh, watching Ant-Man, and uh, I don't know how accurate any of that was, but uh, I'll probably be calling you next time I have a question yeah. on that.
1: <laughs> well, don't don't call me. If there's ever a topic that just makes you feel, you know, super small, and you know you're you're just lacking brain power, it's quantum computing. But, uh, you know, certainly happy to speculate with what I do understand. But uh, I, I'm totally with you on that one.
0: All right, cool. So uh, thanks for answering some of my random questions related to your area of expertise. So now we'll kind of follow the general format and uh, transition to hearing your. Your origin story and and uh, learn a little more about your your path up to this point and you, and then your approach to parenting. So um, if you would, you know, tell us uh, where'd you grow up? Like, what type of kid were you? Um, what was little Ben interested in when he was a kid?
1: Nice. Yeah. Well, since I'm six six now, there's not too many times when people call me little. But uh, but I, I definitely get the thrust of the question. Um yeah, yeah. So I I live in you know Dallas today, but I uh, I'm actually a Minnesota kid. So um, I grew up just outside of Minneapolis. Um, I'd say the most interesting thing about my upbringing is I've got ten brothers and sisters, um, and so you know obviously a very lively bunch. Um, it's hard to it's hard to get a word in with a group that big. Um, but uh, you know I'm uh, I'm one of seven boys, four girls, and I actually am I'm six of eleven. So. Um, if you have a separate podcast about being a middle child, I'm probably qualified to speak on that one as well. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, in general, what I was interested in, I always loved sports. Um, you know, I was kind of reflecting when you and I spoke before and, um, you know, my passion for, for data and statistics actually comes from when I was a small kid. Um, my grandpa actually used to live with us, you know, for a few years after my grandma passed. And so we used to race out to get the newspaper back then. You know, there was no um, real semblance of, of, um, you know, internet. I mean, everything was printed. And so he used to always wake up at the crack of dawn, get the newspaper, read the sports page. And he like, you know, would have his glass, he'd rest right on top of it and make these kind of wet marks. So when I try to flip through it, it would essentially fall apart. Um, and so when I was younger, I, was, I would always try to get up before him. So I could read the newspaper and soak up all the box scores and the stats. Um, I just was something I was always fascinated in. And as far as um, it re- started with baseball and football and then basketball. Um, and and so I would say most of my siblings are the same way, you know, in business and love sports. And so um, growing up, um, you know, we had a lot of rivalrous moments um, playing um games sports um just about anything you can imagine you can compete in um you know that was table stakes at the home house um and then just in general my parents are you know have 11 kids uh it definitely requires special parents um, oh
0: man and, i can't imagine
1: yeah for sure i've got 4 now um and so i have even more kind of respect and admiration for them because that's you know essentially mayhem in the house for you know, my youngest brother just graduated high school so they'll be you know they'll have been parenting for 43 44 years straight with you know somebody in um cool and so so anyway i would say like it's a, it was a very unique upbringing but like as a participant of a large family like there was nothing better right um my closest friends are my siblings you know i've got um brothers that i do trips with every year and it's just it's uh it's great to have a tight-knit family um it's something that is a huge blessing to me that probably i didn't do anything to deserve other than being born in the family i was born in and so um so that's just a little bit about my background where i came from and you know maybe what's yeah uh, what's a bit different well,
0: so one of my perceptions is like like i've got one brother and one sister i'm a middle child but a very different type of middle child than than nice. six of eleven <laughs> nice. uh but Like, my perception is if you have seven brothers, you can't be, like, that tight with them. But I don't – maybe that's not true. Maybe you could be super tight with all of them. I mean, how? what does that look like, having that many siblings? And are you able to stay relatively close with most of them? Does it – I mean, I don't know. I mean, because I even – I feel I'm super tight with my sister, but we weren't even in the house together, like, that much. But we've always had like just a strong connection like we we kind of think the same way we approach things the same way when i kind of can tell what she's thinking or in and vice versa um but i don't know i just to kind of assume if you have that big of a family like the siblings are kind of distant but you tell me
1: Yeah. yeah i mean um so when we went to lake tahoe a few weeks ago um you know there was five five of us brothers Um, The youngest one is 18, so he just graduated high school, Um, and so it's really kind of a far cry from the station of life I'm at where, you know, my oldest daughter is now nine. Um, But because, you know, he's now kind of out of high school, moving on to the next phase of life, it was neat because we could kind of have him come on this boy's trip and, um, you know, kind of give him some advice, right? Like, hey, we've walked in your shoes. We know 18 years old. It's uncertain. You don't know. You know what college is going to look like you know you don't necessarily um know what kind of profession you should pursue um and so i would say your observation of like can you talk all the time or is it super frequent communication probably not as much as when you have one sibling or two siblings but um i would say you know when we do get together it's kind of like you know old hat um where you know there's just not a lot of drama Um, everybody gets along. You know, when you have that many siblings, you learn the parts of uh tolerance and um just realizing like everybody's different. Um, but we spent a lot of time just talking to my brother about, you know, what he wanted to accomplish, you know, with his with his life, with his career. Um, and it was it was really neat just having that opportunity. Um, and I've often kind of you know asked my dad or my older siblings. Um, hey, what would you do if you were in my position? Um, like help me be smarter before I actually have to, you know, start committing to a path, right? Um, yeah, and that- tapping into that network, man. You're hey, born yeah. into a great for sure. network for sure. No, I, I love it.
0: So, as you've interacted throughout your life with other people who have, you know, uh, one or two or three siblings, in what ways have you kind of observed, like? I'm a little different or I'm better prepared for certain situations, or maybe I'm less prepared for certain situations. Like how has that impacted you as an adult?
1: Man, that's a profound question. Um, you know, I think, um, I think when you grow up in a big family, um, like, just be really honest. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. Like, the family I grew up in, you know, I've got a few special needs siblings, um, brothers. I also, I had a sister who passed away, um, about 30 years ago. So it was when I was really young. But like, there's not necessarily, um, this idea that like one kid is the center of the universe and, you know, gets overparented or, you know, maybe gets everything that they want. Um, I think we kind of grew up more with like the, the understanding that like, You get along, um, you know, with your siblings, maybe celebrate the differences of personality because like we definitely have them within the home family. Um, But I think if you kind of maybe it gives you an opportunity to see more of the strengths of others, um, you know, and just like the undeniable need to like prioritize um, things that matter most like when you you go through a lot of the those those challenges of of what well, my parents have of raising special needs kids like all of us pitch in you know all of us help you know one of my brothers um doesn't doesn't eat um you know in a traditional way he's got a, a, a g-tube in his stomach he doesn't walk um everybody leans in to help and you quickly like can take a long-term view of things that matter and things that don't matter Um, and so I do think it has helped me maybe not get so, um, hung up on, on things that are petty. Um, I'm definitely not perfect there. Um, my wife will attest, but I do try really (laughs) hard to like suspend judgment. Um, you know, try to see the good in people. Um, I think just in general, we're happier in our human condition when like we operate that way, because most of the times we'll be right. Um, every now and again, you'll be, you know, just you, you may be let down, but I think it's just a better way to live. Um, you know, that said, I think folks who may um, have come from a smaller family probably have some unique experiences, maybe even be more close knit because they're fewer siblings with their parents. There probably are some really, you know, strong pros there as well. So I don't m- mean to paint the world just from my perspective um it's just maybe a departure from my own experience and so it's just a lot more difficult maybe to um to even begin to think of what that would have been like
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: it's because you, you know
0: if i say well what was it like growing up as uh one of 11 you're like well it was normal because that's you know that's it, what you lived right you can't, yeah um so Being that this is the Dad Conversations podcast, I'm curious to hear a little about your dad. Um, What was what was he like? What's one thing that he really nailed? And uh, if you have any cool stories that you want to tell, certainly welcome to uh, share anything you want.
1: Yeah, no. So, uh, so my dad is um, obviously you know one of the people in the world I respect the most. I mean, he's um, you know, and and I can go into that more, but I think it really just um, you know, my dad came from a family where his dad was, um, you know, did manual labor. Um, there wasn't necessarily this charted course to, you know, go to a great school or have a, you know, a terrific job. Um, but I think my dad kind of found his own way in the world, right? Found a niche. You know, obviously, um, my mom is, is an amazing person as anyone will ever meet. Uh, so I think he, you know, those decisions that matter most, uh, I think he nailed. So. Um, But I I think he's got just a very different temperament than most people I've ever met. Like I just, you know, to be honest, like I I don't ever recall my dad um, yelling at my mom. I mean, I'm sure it may have happened at some point, but they just had a relationship where there was just a lot of mutual respect and like undeniable um, love between them that I think kind of created a very stable environment for me to grow up in and for my siblings. Um, And that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's just really hard to do um did he, he had, yell at
0: like like other times where you heard dad yell just never yelled at mom or was he just like not a
1: yeller he he wasn't a yeller in general but i i have a brother greg um who's six seven size 17 feet um autistic and um and greg can make anybody yell but i will say with my dad <laughs> two and far between but like we're talking about you know you know pushing some of the siblings off the deck we're you know we're talking about you know running after us with baseball bats. There's just things that like because of his disability were really hard for him to wrap his head around. Where it maybe the the uh, a yell was more provoked because it was an emergency and right, right. Had to take action more than hey I'm I'm like venting frustration. Um, but like I'll tell you like I you know I, I you know most people know this about me. I went to BYU. I served a mission in Argentina. Um, you know, I did door to door sales to work my way through college. Um, my dad was always there for me. Like, you know, he wrote me every week, you know, always, you know, writing an inspirational story to kind of just provide like some tailwind for me. And when I was doing summer sales, same thing. I mean, he talked to me whenever I felt like I was in a rut, um, or I just wasn't doing well. And so, like. The one thing I well I've learned a lot from him, but the one thing I now maybe appreciate more because it's so difficult for me is like, every day was a good day for for my dad. You know, when he left work, he yeah. left all of his problems behind and he engaged with the kids, you know, he just brought just light up the room with asking you questions about your life. You know what you wanted to accomplish. Um, I just, I feel like that is such a um, a rare gift that he has. And even to this day, you know, me and my siblings will call my dad and ask him, you know, questions about what's going on. And and he quickly, like, he wants to know how we're doing and what's important in our lives. Just one of those, like, consummate listeners who just, like, makes you feel great about being you. Um, even if at times in life uh, you may not see that or you may not feel that, like, you hang up the phone, you know, feeling more of that, which... I think it's just, um, a tremendous gift that, um, you know, we've obviously benefited from being his kids.
0: That's amazing, dude. I mean, writing, writing you letters every week. I mean, that's a lot of, uh, one-on-one time commitment when you have 11 kids to do something like that. And, um, and then, yeah, just being patient, making, you know, building you up as as he listens to you. That's, Sounds like he's perfect, dude. I mean, was there like anything he wasn't amazing at? I mean, I was I was kind of hoping you were gonna say like, oh, he never yells at, at his you know at his wife, but he would you know yell from time to time because I'm like, okay, I could, I could relate to that. You know, I don't think my kids have ever. Uh, uh, I don't know that I have. Uh, I don't really remember yelling at my wife, but I certainly kids have heard me yell plenty of times. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man,
1: yeah, sounds like I you had mean- like the perfect dad. No, I mean, I, like I said, I, um, you know, my my younger brother coined this phrase a number of years ago. He's just like, you know, to have um, a family as big as ours where everybody gets along well um, and there's just support across the board. It's really rare. Um, and so, I, you know, I think if you asked him, he would be very self-critical and give you all sorts of things he's working on. Um, but that's what I love, you know, about him and like having him as a role model is he was constantly trying to find ways, you know, to help my mom and to, you know, kind of improve her quality of life. Um, and so, you know, I think just that curiosity of like continuing to learn, I mean, it definitely being a parent or a husband, uh, probably transcends anything you'll do professionally taking that kind of same approach, um, of, you know, trying to get better and just making sure, um, you know, you, you spend your time and energy things that matter most. And so I would say raising your kids and having your kids have the best shake at life possible is, is a huge priority to all of us. But like aligning, um, you know, our time and, you know, being committed in in, in a lot of those activities, it, it's another thing entirely. Um, and so I think that's, that's constantly something that probably he worked on and we work on. Um, and there were plenty of games where, you know, when you have four other siblings who also play sports, like, you know, you look over in the stands and everyone's parents there are are there, but yours, I mean, would it be great if they were always worse? Sure. But like the, I guess the physics of being in multiple places at once never really, um, worked out, you know, maybe, um, you know, some of the technology breakthroughs will, will, will make that more possible in the future. But, um, but yeah, I think you know. I What's that? Think, are you
0: guys working on teleporting at, at uh, Microsoft?
1: I, if we are, I don't know about it. How about that? Okay. Uh, yeah,
0: you got to have a security clearance on that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I I think that answers hopefully most of that question. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one for sure. Just like learning from your dad and you know trying to implement that in your own family um, with things being different and just being a completely different age right The parent uh, a lot of the stuff you know maybe i put him through is, is very different um than what i'm confronting and you know with with katie and what we're trying to help our kids figure out um but i think like being involved engaged and curious about how to help probably that approach remains the same even if the tactics are different
0: well said man i like that so uh tell me a little about your career path. You mentioned that you started out in door-to-door sales. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so really um door to door sales was kind of born out of necessity. So I, I got home um from, from a two-year mission in Argentina. Um, yeah, I moved out to Utah. Um turns out you can't do a lot if you don't have any money. Um so <laughs> it's really kind of funny. My my brother Marcus had just gotten married. Um, and I crashed on his couch because I, I like literally, yeah, I think I was starting school in January. This was September. Um, and like, that's a long time to be on the couch. (laughs) Yeah. Well, fortunately for him, it just ended up being a few weeks, but they were probably long weeks for, uh, you know, for newlyweds. But, uh, at any rate, um, you know, I had a couple hundred bucks to my name and he cut and he had just done summer sales and he said, Hey, Like, I think you might be good at this. This might be a good way to like pay your tuition and get through school. Um, And so I spent a lot of like that fall as you trickled into November and December in Utah, you know, knocking doors, selling satellite dishes, you know, and it was getting so cold, you knock on the door and your hands felt like it was gonna break. Um, Mm. But like part of that was just born out of the fact that like there was no alternative. Like if I didn't make the money, if I didn't try to, you know, pave my own way, Um, you know, there was no, um, you know, kind of plan B. Um, so in my mind, it was like, I had to figure it out. And, um, and I will say like having an older brother who kind of pushes you and supports you, but like helps you like get through some of those tough times was an incredible blessing to me. Um, and so I ended up making enough money to, you know, get through school that following winter. And then I realized I was, you know, pretty decent at it. Um, and so that ended up, you know, being a, a nice financial windfall for me over those following two summers, just as a means to, um, you know, big, you know, I started a family towards the end of my undergrad, but just having more of a nest egg, having more financial flexibility. Um, it was definitely a huge, um, breakthrough. Um, but yeah, it's really kind of, I, I guess I didn't really have, um, Maybe a foregone understanding that like sales would be a profitable career path um, until I kind of went through those three years of knocking doors and and, and doing satellites and, and security systems, but it also instilled in me, um, you know, like what is the long term path and what do you want to do, um, you know, beyond what you're doing now. And so I studied finance at BYU. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I kind of did more of an analyst role in, in Chicagoland for two years and um, probably halfway through that, uh, it came very clear to me that I wanted to pivot, do something different in my career. And so, um, you know, it took the GMAT, um, you know, that was a labor of love for me personally. You know, I think there was definitely a few months that went into study to try to get the, the score I needed to go to this, you know, some of the schools I was targeting. Um, yeah. So I ended up, you know, getting into to Duke, um, which, you know, I I think uh, I was a big Jay Will fan and um, you know Dunleavy and that you know that team of the early two thousands when they won the national championship. And so um, I think it was really cool because I'm a huge sports nut and like there was just an undeniable like passion that I had for sports and the idea of like having my kids also. Um, share that with me. I felt like there was no better place in the world to do that than Duke basketball. Um and so was there for, you know, my MBA I started in 2012. To your point, I mean one of the best, you know, blessings of an MBA is the idea that like not any, but most people don't know what they want to do with their life, especially when they're early career. Um, and so I ended up um you know, doing my internship and in consulting. Um, I think as much as I could tell then I felt like that was going to be maybe um the foreseeable five or ten years of my career Um, and so you know i ended up um coming to dallas working with bain um, and it was a it was a great experience i learned a lot but i also kind of learned what my more about my strengths and weaknesses and i just got a lot more momentum from um the time i was in sales and a lot of the things that i had done you know more from you know back in undergrad and so, when I finished my internship at um, at Bain and came back to school, um, you know, I looked a lot at technology and, you know, the doing more sales in a technology capacity. Um, and so, I was fortunate where it worked out, um, you know, with Microsoft, where, like, I had very little technology background, um, you know, to be honest, if they would have asked, had any sort of technology screening, I'm pretty certain I would have failed. Uh, <laughs> but I, I loved what the company stood for i think satya had become ceo right around that same time and you know i had seen some of his addresses of like what they were stood for this whole idea of big data public cloud um and i was really fired up about it and so i i had another option uh with another big technology player at the time and the microsoft just felt like a you know a better fit for my career and um what i was looking to accomplish and so um, so, I got a lot of questions of, hey, you know, is it necessary to get an MBA to be in sales? I felt like it helped me tremendously. Um, I do feel like, you know, just meeting people from all walks of life, you know, different backgrounds, different countries, you know, different interests um, was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, I also feel like it helps me all the time in um, just the very kind of very day to day tasks that we focus on um, as we try to. You know, create digital transformation strategies for our customers and just obsess on their business. Um, but at the, I think at the same time, um, it wasn't a very traditional path at least in 2014 to like go into sales coming out of the MBA. But uh, you know, for sure,
0: I would agree with that. Yeah, because yeah. I was like one of two or three people in my cohort that were in sales.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I I was fortunate. I had a, you know, I think four offers leaving this leaving Duke. Um, And I thought long and hard about it. And there was a lot of um, advice that people would give you about, um, you know, working on this blue chip, um, you know, company as an investment banker or a consultant. And I think that's great for a lot of people, but I think everybody has to kind of look in the mirror and try to figure out what gives them momentum and like what fulfills them. Um, And for me, I just felt like my natural abilities um, would lend themselves better to business development and technology than they would in other areas, and so I I wouldn't have to try so hard just to fit in or to be an average performer. And you know, obviously, we all take risks. We never know how how the story is going to go. Uh, But it was just kind of more of a um, I think a gut feel that I had that like. You know, I was going to, like, trudge my own path and create a journey for myself. I wasn't worried uh, most of the time of comparing what other people were going to do or how others would perceive my decisions. It just mattered that, like, I was comfortable with it and, you know, my wife was comfortable with it. And, you know, so we had a lot of discussions because I did go a very non-traditional route. Now, with technology booming and, you know, I started Microsoft, I think the shares – I think stock price was at like $40, you know, now it's well over 200. I think tech has been become a much more fashionable place to be either as a project manager or a product guy or sales, just because there's just an undeniable momentum right now. Um, the tech ex- the, you know, the tech sector is experiencing. Um, but that probably wasn't necessarily what I had expected. Like that definitely came as a pleasant surprise. Um, you know, we're bank air in your favor. I think if you, if you look at the monopoly terms, um, but obviously six years later, you know, I've done a lot of different things. I've had a lot of different opportunities, but, uh, you know, I do really, really strongly believe in the Microsoft mission, um, you know, what we've been able to accomplish and just the North star of what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, I think um, it continues to motivate me, although anyone who's in data and AI. Um, or works in public cloud will tell you it, it is a very fast-moving, you know, very demanding profession um, because of uh, all those factors I just explained of rapid growth and you know everything that's happening in in the world right now um, with disruption.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And and you've done very well as at Microsoft. So uh, coming in straight out of business school. Uh, I'd imagine you're in an individual contributor role um, and currently you're a director. I'm assuming there was a, a probably a management role somewhere in there. like what what have you found to be the keys to success uh, at doing your job and and progressing in your career?
1: that's that's a great question. Um, you know, um, I think you really do have to just take it one day at a time.. Um, like, for me, I really pride myself in that I don't quit. Um, there's been a lot of very, you know, difficult things that, you um, know, from a career perspective in those early days, like, you know, knocking doors in 110 degree heat in Texas, that, like, really kind of forged some some character. And so I'd say number one is, like, you don't quit. And number two, it doesn't matter, like, how far in the continuum you've gotten in your, progre- your progress. Like, you can always get better. Um and so I'd say those two things, um, you know, I had someone share with me probably 10 or 12 years ago, and they've always stuck with me um, as, as, like, something that, uh, that, that's meaningful to me. If it's important, you know, I, I don't want to quit. And um, I also want to be open to people's feedback and, um, and just realize that, like, the happiest people are those who can adapt to the circumstances around them. Um, you know, without you know, while maintaining their beliefs, their principles. Um, and so I think my like career at Microsoft, you know, I, I was, a um, a specialist in data and AI for five years. Um, I, in the last year have had, um, in the, basically in the South region, uh, I, I support the specialists, uh, who, you know, kind of are part of our, our 13 state region. Um, and, you know, it's a thrill, like, I love watching um people grow and succeed there's kind of a um like a proud parent moment when you help people turn the corner um whether they're new or whether they've been at microsoft a long time um and so you know frankly like um the team that i've been on has been a huge blessing to me i've learned way more from them than they have from me um but you do realize like it's very different in um, in leadership role versus you know being a, a specialist, where you kind of make your own schedule and you have a lot more maybe flexibility or autonomy. Um, I think uh, that transition um, was very. I would say it wasn't. It, it's not like easy or hard. It's just more a realization that like the aims of what you're trying to accomplish um, are very different. And um, you're much more, you know, focused on big picture and, um, and, you know, being, you know, a helpful ally, you know, and, you know, I think a lot of basketball, because that's, that's maybe the way I, um, you know, maybe enjoy um, the world is, is through the lens of, of basketball metaphors. And you, you talk a lot today about this idea of positionless basketball, where. You know, a guy like LeBron James can bring the ball up. He can guard a center. You know, he can, you know, pretty much play defense on anybody. And so this idea that, like, you don't necessarily typecast him as just a small forward or a power forward, Um, I think it's the same thing in leadership where, um, you know, sometimes you, there's a need for you to help negotiate. Sometimes there's just help, like, the biggest help you can lend is just to listen and, like, be empathetic. I think there's other times when, You know, um, your team needs to have like team would needs you to have a great idea and help like solve a problem. Um, But just realizing that there's like all these different dimensions to successful leadership um, is something that I would never have really thought about um, until you kind of step into those shoes. And you start thinking about like how to help each person individually um, and what that journey looks like. So I don't know if that makes a ton of sense. I feel like. I definitely rambled on that one but hopefully you're able to piece some of that together
0: all good dude i enjoy rambling <laughs> I enjoy rambling yeah it, it's funny uh hearing you share that because i like you i you know i started in in door-to-door sales um shortly after coming coming home from a, a two-year mission for church i talked to one of my buddies i was like what have you been up to and he's like oh, I'm, i made eighty thousand dollars last summer you know selling yeah pest control contracts door to door and i was like what it's like "Uh, uh, so are they they hiring (laughs) and uh you know then like five summers later you know i'd been doing it forever like you you know you get into it and you realize the money's so good and you're able to pay for your family and pay your mortgage and pay your tuition while you're in in college and then um you know, you go about your career and that those sales skills kind of carry with you, you know, just learning, knowing that, like, I can influence outcomes. I can, um, if I keep trying, I can succeed. Um, I learned so much and I, I kind of hated the job at the time, but I was totally in it for the money because I needed it. But so much of that transferred into working in sales and professional B2B sales. Um, mm-hmm. Not all of it. It's definitely a very different sale. You know, you're not you're not um, opening and closing the sale on the first day. But um, I'd be curious to hear, you know, just to one to kind of reminisce, but two to to hear from you. Like, what are some of the lessons you learned going into B two B tech sales while having a ton of experience closing deals and understanding buying signs and the sales cycle um, but kind of adapting to a professional b2b sale
1: yeah i mean that's, it's a really good question um i mean i think the i think if you really distill it down whether like the sales cycles a day or an hour like you you know you were alluding to with door-to-door sales versus um you know what you do at cisco or what i do at microsoft um, I think at its core, you're just, you're trying to help people solve problems. And so I think, uh, I got a lot of rapid practice at that, um, you know, going through college and, um, in, in working more in the, in the context of what's now, um, a very different type of sale. Um, but I, I do think like, there's an undeniable need for people to be listened to and understood. Um, I, you know, found that when I was, uh, when I was selling satellites, I also find that on Microsoft sometimes, like, you know, just putting yourself in their shoes and not driving your own agenda, but rather just listening and asking questions, um, will just help you figure out like what is in the best interest of the customer. I, I feel like when we have our own preconceived plan for them, um, that's not really, Helping them in any way um, it's not nearly as effective and I honestly, I don't think you'll be nearly as good at it. Um, and so I'd say the two lessons I took away is, you know, um, you know, it, it's a people business. At the end of the day, you treat people with respect, you know, you strive to you know, live with integrity. I think those things show up. Um, I think the second part is there was nothing more difficult than. Um, you know, knocking door after door after door, you know, for four months straight. You know, sometimes I don't know about you is nine, 10 hour days. Um, yeah, and, <laughs>
0: that's the worst schedule ever, man. It was six days yeah, a week.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, mentally, emotionally, like that was really hard. Um, You know, I I was fortunate like you. I had a lot of success, maybe more than most. But even still, like to kind of mentally get up um, and to grind. perform every single day, is not easy and so that's something i've kind of brought with me maybe in my my current career path it was like you know diligence is the most important thing like follow through is the most important thing and so um you know i think i've been here six years and i i I got sick maybe three weeks ago and i took the afternoon off and i think my wife commented like i think this is the first time you've taken a sick day in six years because like i was just used to being a grinder right like um, if I could go forward, I would go forward. Um, and I think having that sort of like perspective about life of I'm going to figure it out. Um, I'm going to keep, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm going to keep like leaning in the batter box, no matter how many times I get beamed. Um, I think that really helps, you know, you solve a lot of problems um, professionally, personally. Um, I don't want to oversimplify because there are some challenges in life that like, You know, all the effort in the world and all the good intentions in the world, like, you know, it can't change. And so um, I think you do have to be cognizant of that um, and just realize that um, you have to accept some of those things. But for everything else, like you can do your part and you can be really proud of the effort you put forth. And most of those things will pop and good things will happen, especially, you know, if you can avoid, you know, the discouragement, that setback setbacks generally have on people and, you know, I'm going to butcher it. And, you know, I, I, but Winston Churchill said something to the effect of, you know, success is going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. Um, you know, you, you look at a lot of really successful people, um, and they weren't like inherently successful. It's, they were so committed to the path that they were on. They eventually success found them. Um, and so I don't know, like for you or for me, it's like, hey, no matter what, I want to be successful, because like that's more, I say, a byproduct of trying to do all the right things um, and having them finally fall in place. But I would say realizing that many things didn't come easy for me, um, especially early on in my college career and my professional life, like, you know, made me more um, aware that the best thing that I could do is give my best effort. Um, and, you know, I still try to do that. You get older, you have kids. Um, it's now you get way more into like, you're spinning plates everywhere all the time and they fall and they break and you can't do everything. So now, um, you know, it's, how do I put my best effort into the things that matter most? And, you know, I think elder Oaks had that framework of good, better, best. And I love it because like, there's an unlimited amount of good things at the buffet table. But, um, you know there's only so much you can eat. and so it's really it's you know there things aren't inherently bad, but you know you focus on the best things first, realizing you get the big rocks in you know first, um you know, in the canister, and then you can put small rocks around it. But if you put in you lead with things that don't really matter, um you quickly you know have have kind of compromised things that matter much more. Um, and so, so anyways, that's that's kind of my two cents on maybe those parallels and and how I think about kind of them overlapping
0: like that. I feel like you're, you're one of those guys when you walk into the seafood buffet that only has a plate full of crab legs. It's like we came here for one reason. We paid yeah, $50 at the seafood buffet. We're not eating the mac and cheese.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, anyone who knows me knows I'm pretty indiscriminate about the food that I eat, especially if it's a treat. So, uh, uh, <laughs> so I would say there's definitely a, a limited application to the literal on this one.
0: All right hey uh let's briefly cover uh mentors like what's your approach to mentoring i'm assuming you've got some uh some good contacts inside of microsoft maybe some outside like what's your approach to finding and developing relationships with mentors
1: yeah i mean i think there's a lot of trains of thought and i've heard a lot of really amazing people i respect have completely you know kind of divergent opinions on mentors um you know i probably rely on Um, folks who are, um, either a peer or, you know, a boss that like, I've come to know over time. Um, I feel like there's no way to replicate trust. And for, for those that, um, you know, you've known for a while and, you know, you can trust them. It's a lot easier to open up about, you know, should I look at this, you know, potential job change? Um, you know, what, what things in my current job, you know, am I not doing well? Can you. help me learn in a safe space. Um, So I would say, you know, I've got a former boss that I worked for for a couple of years um, and then he became a peer. Um, And, you know, I always respected uh, his opinion because he always had, I always felt like he had my best interests at heart. Um, And even when the message was tougher, um, you know, I didn't question that it could help me grow. Um, Hmm. I would say professionally um, that, you know, mentor may change over time, but, you know, I, have you know folks that I have a constant kind of I am thread where they go back and forth and it could be as simple as um, you know let's jump on a call or maybe just asking a very specific question. Um, I I also talk to my dad and my old two older brothers, my younger brother, um, They all have you know different backgrounds, but they always give me very thoughtful answers to the things I'm thinking about. Um, and so you know when I was um, you know there was a um, when i was a, in as a missionary in argentina my mission president always said like you know there's no limit on the amount of good input i'll I'll seek after well how i inevitably make the decision um is unknown but like having as many points of view that are relevant and can kind of help paint the whole picture um is definitely something you should be patient to try to um you know seek that input out from a broad group of people but um you know i have an older brother in tech sales and another one who's you know in an executive at a cpg and they've always just been kind of um folks who i think have been through a lot of the experiences that i've i'm currently encountering and you know in their recent past um and so i've you know always kind of appreciate sharing hey here's what's going on like how would you think about this um and often like just listening to myself describe it I think maybe the intuition of what I should do kind of comes out maybe without being, um, you know, guided one way or another. But I think just being able to talk to somebody um, that you trust and it's appropriate for the type of conversation, uh, I think can go a long way just to like help you not make knee-jerk decisions um, or, you know, let small things fester and uh, undermine, um, you know, the things, you know, your brand or the things that are important to you. I think it's you know, really important to just be patient and, um, you know, make sure, um, you know, you're, you're in a good space, um, to address things, especially if they're difficult.
0: Hmm. I like that. Tell me about your hobbies. What do you like to do when you have some spare time Yeah. and uh, what's your preferred form of exercise?
1: That's a good question. Um, so I would say hobbies. Um, yeah, I love, um, you know, I, I basically reduce it down to um, Duke basketball, BYU football, Vikings football. Um, I, my Vikings are off to 0-3. So, Ooh. you know. Hey,
0: the, Trevor the, Lawrence, guys, baby. You can get Trevor Lawrence next year. We, Keep hitting those O's.
1: We are in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes um, it, currently. Um, and so I, I love watching sports. Actually, my my youngest, uh, my two I should say my two boys, but particularly uh, my older son, have really kind of gone headlong into, um, you know, being big sports fans with me. And so I, I will say, as a hobby, like, you know, we we watch the games together, and you know, he'll sit intently next to me. He'll ask questions. You know, he'll get really upset when things don't go our way. Um, You know, it's just been great, kind of blending um, my interests with his interests, and it's just kind of happened organically um he did say the other day though he's like when you have your friends over to watch like duke basketball games you always have food and like you have really good snacks and when you watch it with me i don't get any snacks or food so the last time we watched a game together you know we got them all hyped up on skittles and or sorry starbursts and um and and all manner of snacks because i didn't want him to feel like he got slighted so i think um that's kind of uh, i'd say a lot of Maybe the the hobby side, especially you know with with my family. Um, the second part of your question um, on this on the exercise, so I I run, and I do it um, mostly because I I just feel like I get really good ideas when I do it. Um, I'm I'm a tall, um, you know, very kind of non traditional build for a runner. Um, you know, I'm probably more um, built to play basketball, but Um, you know, I think most mornings, you know, I, I run six miles around my neighborhood. I put my AirPods in or my surface buds that I more recently got. And, uh, and I just, it's very kind of, um, cathartic for me just to like think through things that are going on. And, uh, and I feel like my perspective is, you know, a lot more, um, in tune with like making the right decision. Um, when I get good exercise, uh, I, I, I'd say, you know, I I did get it Peloton here recently, um, but there's something about being outside. So I still find myself just enjoying running more, but um, I'm on a, I'm sure I'm on a a limited, um, you know, I think at some point, my knees will probably betray me. And, uh, you know, just from the the force of, you know, your feet hitting the pavement over and over again. And so I am trying to kind of protect my knees as long as I can, But but yeah, that's kind of my routine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I got a buddy who's in, um, like DNA and gene sequencing and bioinformatics or whatever. He's like, yeah, a few years you can get uh, stem cells. They can totally regrow your, all of your ligaments. So it's like, they won't even be doing knee replacements. You can just, uh, go get some injections.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I, running. Think I'm all, I think I'm on borrowed time. So hopefully they, they <laughs> come through with that at some point in the near future.
0: I just can't think about anything when I'm running other than much longer. When can I stop? How far yeah. have I gone? Am I there yet? That's all I
1: can. <laughs> I, know. I, and I was the same way. I feel like the longest I'd ever run, you know, as like an adolescent was probably like a mile or two. Um, but, you know, especially in a, you know, a pandemic, like we're in now, um, you know, finding time to like, think, um, can be hard. I just, I've never been like a mindfulness or a yoga Or like, uh, you know, turn everything off for 10 minutes. Like, it just, um, I just feel like that hasn't worked for me. But um, I started running, um, you know, primarily just to, um, you know, stay, you know, somewhat fit, which um, I don't know that I've necessarily accomplished. But, hey, we keep trying. Um, But I have found just like it it does kind of, you know, the more you do it and the more you get the hang of it um especially if you find a good podcast or you just like to listen to music um it's a great way just to maybe turn off an overactive mind for just a little while um and just um you know kind of enjoy what's going on around you um you know in nature um you know not not to sound overly touchy feely, but there's something about just being outside i think that just uh it's just great for the human soul in my opinion yeah,
0: yeah for sure i agree with that um even for the vitamin D, if nothing else, you know,
1: exactly. Um, Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Hey, if you are someone who gives away books as gifts, um, which book have you given away most often? And if not, just tell me about, you know, one or two books that have had a big impact on
1: you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I would say I just finished dare to lead, uh, Brene Brown's book last week. Um, I've been reading it for a while and I think I finally kind of hunkered down and finished it. I, I really liked that one a lot. Um, I don't know that I've mailed it to anybody, but I've definitely recommended it, which um, you know, looking at your question from that perspective makes me feel more like a cheapskate. I'm like, hey, go get this. <laughs> you so maybe I had a there. But uh I mean, you know, what I liked about it was just like this idea that um, you know you should be authentic and like the insecurities and the walls that you put up, um, you know, make it more difficult to have like meaningful connection. Um, And I think in a time where you're not flying around or visiting with clients all over the place, um, I think you have to try maybe a little bit harder to like connect in more of a remote setting. Um, So there were a lot of themes and ideas um, that she shared that really resonated with me and like, you know, helped me re maybe reexamine um what I can do better about kind of cultivating uh an environment uh around me that um where I talk about things that matter um I mean I'll talk about sports until I'm red in the face and it doesn't really change anybody's life it doesn't you know as much as I enjoy it um yeah. and so reading like her book about like things being so focused on um you know people armoring up or you know bringing their superficial self um you know to work or or just to life um and how it hampers our you know our ability to kind of trust and learn um i think it had a profound impact on me and i think she she does a good job keeping it real like there's some of those academics where you read the book and you feel like you know it's coming from an ivory tower um, where you get a sense that like she's a real person with real um challenges um, and it makes her far more relatable. Um, and But I will say, like, the content of the research and the suggested things to do um, to be more effective, um, in my opinion, were spot on. And so, you know, if I find some 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 dollars in, in, in quarters in the couch cushion, maybe I'll have to cobble those together and, and send you a copy if you haven't read it already.
0: <laughs> so- you know, I've heard uh, mention of the book before, but after a glowing endorsement by the one and only Ben Home, I might go check out that book. So um, I like that, too, because like you said about sports, it's it's so easy to begin a relationship uh with you know small talk and and uh, get to know somebody and and see a, a joint interest or maybe you have a shared tribe or you know my tribe's competing with your tribe on this upcoming game but uh, after a certain period of time you kind of need to trans add some other things and open up a little bit because if every time you see them it's like so how's the how's the browns doing you know oh, they still sorry okay sorry you know it's like there's no uh it doesn't progress and I yeah, that's good. I'm interested in reading that.
1: Yeah, it's it's probably fairly timely for me, right? Because um you know, had I known the Vikings were going to, you know, come out in three <laughs> and how immediately it might, you know, it might come into handy to, you know, diversify my set of topics, um you know, I'd say uh I'd I'd say it was a w- well-timed read for me. It's got me prepared yeah. for my new normal.
0: What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last 6 or 12 months?
1: Man. Man, that's tough. Um, You know, I would say... um, So you know I, I maybe have a more of an uncharacteristic one, but um, um, and you know I will say you know my wife is more to thank for this one, but um, my son was having a birthday party, and you know we kind of struggled a lot with what you can do and what you can't do with you know a pandemic being what it is, right? Um, and so you know he was he was very fired up about having his friends over, his sister his sister had had a birthday party, and so um. You know, we were we kind of went with this um, sports theme and uh, and my wife bought him a Space Jam, Michael Jordan jersey and then all the headbands for his friends. Um, oh, cool. And uh, and when he opened it up, like, you know, he wouldn't have asked for it in a million years, um, but he wore that all day just with like this, you know, sense of uh, satisfaction. Then when his friends came over, they watched Space Jam um, and you could tell he felt <laughs> like the resident expert of a movie that was like (laughs) like all of these seven-year-olds had never seen it um you know which is a which is a separate conversation for a separate day um but uh but he just you know he loved the the idea of um you know kind of being special and um and so I think when you think about things that really change your life or have a profound impact um a hundred bucks as an adult probably won't get you there um but like looking at life through the the through maybe the lens of a small kid Um, sometimes it can be less than a dollar it's just something that like they know you were thinking about them and like wanting to make sure you know they had a great time with their friends and um and so you know my boys will often use overuse this phrase of you know this is the best day ever but whenever they say that um and you can kind of tie it back to like some action or something that you did it just you know for that moment you feel like a good dad now after you go to you know chick-fil-a and you mess up their order you know they may be you know, singing a different tune but at least in that one moment you feel like you know you uh are yeah. parent so but that good. was that was undoubtedly the the most difficult question you've asked i uh i definitely <laughs> should have uh should have prepped a little bit more for that one as you were thinking
0: i was going i have i've asked that to so many people but i've never once thought about what's been What I've purchased and uh, I don't know what I would say. So you came up with something quicker than I would have. Tell me briefly a little about your family and favorite vacation you've taken.
1: Yeah. Um, So I've I've been married now for coming up on 11 years. So Katie and I met in in college. Um, We've got four kids. So two boys, two girls. Um, I would say right now, like on the one extreme, you know, we've got the daughter who Thinks, you know, she needs all the technology and social media and a phone and all those other things. And we're kind of like, yeah, but you're only nine. Like, we didn't get her <laughs> like twice your age. Um, and then at the other extreme, um, my 10 month old daughter is um, you know learning how to crawl. So when we leave the baby gates open, she ends up, you know, not being downstairs where we left her. She ends up being upstairs and, um, you know, it feels like she's teleporting with how quickly she's moving um but she's still working on like how to get down the stairs and so we're like you know in that uncomfortable paranoia yeah. of, like you know you've got to keep an eye um you know on your not maybe not baby but almost toddler all the time um but you know what like um they all play some some form of sports so we've got soccer basketball and cheer going right now um I help out with basketball. I coach um, my oldest daughter's team. Um, And, you know, I have a lot of fun with it. I mean, it's great to, like, have a dedicated time to spend with her. And then, you know, obviously, like, it's great to watch her interact with her friends. Um, But I'd say, like, our weekends now have hit, like, the climax of chaos. Like, like, you know a lot of times we do have to divide and conquer or you know one parent goes to the soccer field another one goes to the basketball court only to find out you know by the time we get home um, you know there's there's some sort of cheer event or something else and so right. um so it's it's definitely like action packed um you know i think my wife does a phenomenal job you know really kind of helping um orchestrate everything um she's you know really good at just Helping keep us organized for sure. Like, I, I, I feel like that's definitely not a strength of mine. Um, and, you know, she, she helps us kind of, um, you know, figure out whose birthday and, you know, who's party and, you know, presents and gifts and all those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, we've, we've been out here in Texas now for 6 years. We love it. I mean, it's been great for our family. We live, um, you know, relatively close to the school. So it's been really easy just. With school being back in session and kids getting to spend time with their friends again, it's, um, you know, maybe has gone even better than we ever could have expected in terms of, you know, kind of um, going back to school. Um, And then you said, so I think the second part was favorite vacation. Um, So, you know, I think there's two that I've loved a lot. Um, Both of them are probably more slanted towards young kids. So we've always enjoyed going to Atlantis in the Bahamas. Um, you know, it's like one of those places you just show up and you don't have to plan activities. You just kind of go on water rides at nauseam and like, you know, there's very little that needs to plan. You just kind of show up and the entertainments yeah. kind of orchestrated for you. So I'm a huge fan of like those sorts of things where like, you know, on a vacation, I can cut down on the number of decisions I have to make. I think that kind of, um, you know, I think Nirvana for me. Um, I think the other one is, is we've been to, um, disneyland um and my kids love that i mean they're at the ages where you know they want all the characters to sign their books and we got to hunt down every last princess um and there's also like cool things for us parents to do uh, but like there's nothing like you know just the excitement that they have um you know doing all that so we went with my brother and his family and so we had eight young kids you know floating around los angeles this was kind of pre-pandemic and um you know they just have the time of their life you know you walk like 12 or 15 miles um, you know over the course of a 10 or 12 hour day um but i would say those ones also have a lot of kind of repeat utility where you can very easily go back again and it's like you never it's like a movie you've never seen because it's you know that much fun so wow. um that that'd be kind of my my take on vacation the less decisions as possible um with the most you know immersive for for young kids is is kind of the uh the perfect blend
0: you're a better dad than me man i'm uh i'm so against going to disney world or disneyland like i hate i hate lines i hate um sunburns i hate 25 I know, hot dogs i hate uh you know 500 admission price
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like i don't
0: know anyway wow.
1: i'm with you i will say i was a curmudgeon too for probably a year or two and um when you go and you kind of like experience the you know the excitement that the kids have um at the end of the day if you fast forward the movie we all die and you know we we, we're the money's going to serve no purpose um so something like that where it's like a very deliberate you know building of memories and you know um doing something that like uh, will be an like an unquestioned memory for your kids. Um, I think is a lot It definitely goes a long way. But that being said, um, you know they. It's definitely it's definitely one of those things where you gotta you gotta pace yourself because it's not cheap.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Okay, we got a couple minutes left. Um, I got a serious uh, two serious questions and then a couple to wrap up with. So we'll try to move quick. So sure. you're a, a husband and a father. Uh, in what ways are you a better husband than three to five years ago? And in what ways are you a better father than three to five years ago? And then after those, we'll we'll wrap it up with a couple quick ones.
1: Man, those are heavy. Yeah, um, they
0: are. So I've never done this in a condensed timeline. So go.
1: Yeah. All right. I'll, <laughs> do my, I'll do my best to stay on script. I mean, I think in the last three to five years. Um, I've realized like I'm not conscious of all of the things um, that my wife does and so I think the pandemic has been a very eye-opening experience for me um, at like how um, critical like the, the, the role of mother and I think you know I always knew um, my wife was, was crazy busy making everything happen but um, I would say just over the last three to five years when we have the number of kids that we have. And like how much self-sacrifice goes into um, making sure they can, can pursue the things that they're interested in, um, it has given me a tremendous amount of um, maybe respect and admiration and love for my wife. Um, and I think I, I've tried to be maybe more tuned in when I can help. When she has birthdays, you know, try to do something fun or, you know, try to, when her friends want to go and do a last minute getaway, like just tell her to go and be more willing to just figure everything else out on the back end. Um, so she can kind of, you know, feel what it's like to be a friend or a daughter and kind of live out that side of her life as well, because, um, being a mother can be so all encompassing. And so, uh, so yeah. I would say that's on maybe the, the husband front. Um, I would say on the dad front, um, you know, we've had two kids who've who've struggled with their hearing and both had to get ear tubes. Um, my older son, um, it caused a lot of of acting out. Um, you know, he just was very difficult um for other kids to get along with, just, just being completely honest. Um, and so that was that was a big struggle for us early on, just kind of realizing kind of natural consequences of having a kid who was always grumpy. Um, that said, like, I remember asking my dad about it and like, Hey, you know, what do I do? You know, just, he wakes up angry. He goes to bed angry. You know, he's just grouchy. Um, I remember I took him to Minnesota for a Vikings trip with my brothers. And like, I was very, I was dreading it. Um, because like I said, he just, he just wasn't well behaved ever. Like, you know, he just was always, um, Hmm. angry about things. And so I took him. And I remember um, it was just an absolute inflection point um, for him. You know, I think at the time he was three and a half or four. And, you know, I bought him a muffin um, when we first got to Minnesota. And he still talks about how that was the best muffin he ever had. And the (laughs) the Vikings are the best team in the world. And I think just spending the one-on-one time with him and not like rushing to judgment that, hey, he's going to be misbehaved forever because in reality he grew out of it you know he's now very well behaved you fast forward three years um but no one could have ever convinced us you know when he was three or four that that would happen we felt like that was probably just his personality um and so as a parent like you know just do the best you can to like love unconditionally and you know like kids have challenges some go away some are permanent um you know who's to know but like it is always great when, when someone just acknowledges that other people have struggles and you know, they, they don't judge them and maybe it makes it easier for them to kind of turn the corner. Um, so I, I think, you know, I know I took three three minutes and I think I may have eroded your time for your follow-up questions. You're good. Um, but anyway, is
0: there a good cause you wish more people knew about?
1: A good cause. I mean, there's a lot of them. um, you know, I think um, there's, you know, I had a friend of mine turn me on to an organization that, you know, helps folks uh, who are in hospitals um, and, you know, have, you know, financial needs, um, whether that, you know, young kids who need toys or other assistance. Um, and he turned me on to it a few years ago. And it's been great, like, getting engaged and helping um, those who are in need. Like, you know, I think we're all so blessed. Right. And I think the ability to, like, um, you know, give something back and be very deliberate about, you know, paying it forward is a huge, um, I think, responsibility that, that can be easily overlooked. And so, you know, I would say any sort of cause that, like, can show your kids, um, like, the importance of giving and helping and, you know, just, you know, being a great person um, and, you know, kind of as a parent, m- making that a priority for them to get involved and experience, like, what that feels like, I think is great. Um, but, uh, I would say, um, picking a cause and just, you know, being very clear about getting involved as soon as possible is probably maybe the two cents I have on that front.
0: Good. Dude, you are a good man. Thank you for coming. You've shared some really good wisdom with everybody and I've enjoyed getting a little more insight into your life. So appreciate it.
1: Yeah, you bet. Hey, Sean, thanks for having me. Appreciate all the initiative you take to, you know, put these things together and, was was fantastic to participate, and uh, you know, wish you all the best on subsequent dad conversations. So thanks again.
0: Hey, no problem. Tell the customer you're about to meet with that uh, Sean says sorry, and hopefully they'll still cut you a PO.
1: Fair enough, man. Fair enough. <laughs>
0: Take all right. Sorry for making you late. Right. See ya.
1: Oh, no worries. Bye.
0: thank you for listening to the show if you enjoyed the show please consider telling someone about the podcast you could talk to someone or send a text message you could even fold them a sweet origami swan that has dad conversations written inside it or you could share an episode on social media maybe even write a review of the podcast on your podcasting app if you think the podcast sucks that's totally cool And I want to know why. Please send me any constructive criticism, such as a new question you'd like me to ask or a request to stop saying um. Also, feel free to send unconstructive hate mail or whatever's on your mind. You can find me at Sean Radvansky on LinkedIn or DM Dad Conversations on Twitter. Whatever you do, I hope you have a great day.